Y'all don't know this, but Keith and I go way, way, way back. Baby, baby Keith and baby John. The reason that I went to Georgia Southern University in large part was Keith was one and Jay and Kathy. Remember those days? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Keith was at Georgia Southern and the Wesley Foundation and a part of a, a group that went to churches and worked okay. with youth groups. And of course, Keith had history at St. Mark too, where I was and knew Jim Jackson and so right. all those old connections. And they came. And when I was 18, I was called into the ministry in high school. <clears throat> I was going to go to the University of Georgia. And then they came and I was like, man, whatever this group is, I want to do something like this. I want to be like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and I did the whole time I was at Wesley Foundation at Georgia Southern. And uh, that that was a a great formative season in my life. So, and you were a big part of that. Well, you know, I was there uh, for two summers under Jim. And I think you were still in the youth group, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, so yeah. so that's that's got to be in the 1980s. Like, y'all yeah, were even 80. alive. Ethan and yeah, I, <laughs> I was, was there. I, I was, was not even a thought. <laughs> a gleam in your mother's eye. <laughs> so normally, was, uh, so normally when we do this podcast, me and Matt Russell, Matt's in England in Cambridge lecturing, which sounds really pretentious mm-hmm. and and smart. <laughs> Like which, you do, which in your he, which in your he spare is time. like like people do here. You know, our staff they <laughs> they lecture at Cambridge, and uh, mm-hmm. I've got Joseph Patty here today, who is our uh, director of youth ministries, and Ethan Mayo, who's also part of our youth ministries, and both of these guys uh, went to Asbury, and okay. so they've been following uh, the Asbury revival. I don't know what the yeah. proper name. It's and one of the of reasons right I wanted yeah. to talk with you, <laughs> Keith, is we're joined with, you know, Keith Coward is a, is a bishop now. Wow. I never yeah. thought that would happen, but he's a bishop <laughs> yeah, in, the, <laughs> in the free <laughs> Methodist church. And Keith, years ago, also in Columbus, Georgia, same town, my hometown, and, and uh, where I served, started a church, planted a church, Christ Community, that was very successful and just reaching people for Christ and um mm. so it was just a great a great story but you've been up uh, we we've, we've talked about this asbury revival's been in the news a lot and sure. a lot of people have been paying attention yeah. to it and they've been <laughs> removed from it there have been a lot of articles read you actually went up there you've got some connection also with asbury so i thought we'd talk these guys have been following it watching it online i think they've been itching to go up there too a couple times <laughs> they thought about it so i thought it'd be great <laughs> just to have a conversation about what you've seen and how they are experiencing it, and 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 what does this mean for the church today, and how sure. we how we get a sense of this, what God's doing? Absolutely, um, yeah, John. First of all, just good to to can reconnect with you. It's been a lot of years since we've seen each other in the flesh, but yeah. have a lot of great memories and uh, appreciate you greatly. And and Chapelwood. Um, Visited Chapelwood a few times when Jim was there, and um, so just grateful for you guys, and glad to be with you, and and happy to talk about whatever level you wanna you wanna go into. Um, we, I'll just say you just so you know, kind of the the connection there. So Pam and I, my wife and I, both graduated from Asbury with our MDivs. Plus, I did the Beeson Pastor D Men program back in the mid '90s. 
and that's where we we came out of that program and planted in Columbus, Georgia. Um, so that's a time frame there. But we still have a lot of friends in the Asbury area. And uh, so the, actually the, the bishops were going to have a meeting in Seattle hmm. um, on the Monday before the, the revival ended on Thursday. And we just decided to move our meeting from Seattle to Wilmore so that we had a lot of work to do. But we thought, let's get down there and, and see what this looks like firsthand and experience it. But Pam and I got up there three days early. So we went on Friday. And so we had three days and then the other bishops came in and um, and then we had three more days there. And then Pam stayed on two or three more days to the very end. But um yeah, I mean, any specific questions? How, how do you want me to? Well, I mean, I guess let's just walk through this journey. I mean, <clears throat> a lot of people have at least heard of it or have followed it. Like, how did it come on your radar, I guess, first? And you guys as well. I mean, right. how did it get on your radar to begin with? And then, uh, you know, what a lot of people have, I, I just call it pilgrimage, you know, they've mm -hmm. pilgrimaged up there. This thing is also yeah. spread, but I think at the beginning, it's like, how did you find out about it? And kind of what were the, yeah. what was the thought process that made you all think, well, we need to, we need to go yeah. there. Well, we were leading a, a team in Israel, actually. We were in Israel leading a team of about 40 people over there and um, began to pick up social media, you know, <laughs> posts. Uh and hearing about it primarily through social media, which is interesting because a number of people have pointed out that this is the first really significant move of God that has been fueled by social media. Mm. And I would say definitely that's how we first heard about it was through social media. Um, and uh, then we came home and continued to hear about it. I called a few people that some faculty and staff at, at Asbury Seminary, some a pastor that we have in Wilmore, and kind of reached out to some people I knew well and said, hey, tell me what you're seeing, what you're experiencing. And from their testimonies about what was happening, Pam and I began to really feel like, hey, I want to go. And I'll, I'll be really straightforward here. I, I wouldn't go in like as a bishop to to check on things to make sure everything was all right. I was going out of a hunger in my own soul. Um, I really want, I just like, Lord, if you're moving, I don't want to miss this. Um, and, and, and I surely I understand, you know, God is always moving. We can always connect with God, but I really do believe there are, are times when those we're in a thin space where yeah. God's spirit is moving in a really profound way. And we didn't want to miss it. Um, and and I'll even say as well that uh, as we thought about going up there, the Lord just started showing me some things in my own life that had, you know, they weren't, uh, quite frankly, they weren't terrible sins. They were things that are, are not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but things that were occupying a lot of my attention and a lot of my heart love, you know, just a lot of, of what I really loved. And and I felt like the Lord began to to say, I, I am calling you to a place of deep surrender to give you a fresh um, experience of my love and my presence in your life. And so I went through, before we ever left, two days before we left to go up there, I went through a season of some confession, 
and repentance and just really crying out to God and saying, Lord, I want more. I, I want to be in a place where your spirit is moving freely in me and through me. And so that's the spirit we went up there with. And um, and what we found was was wonderful and amazing. And um, we pretty quickly were asked to serve on a prayer team. And so we began to serve that way. Um, and, uh, you know, the hunger that was so obvious on people's faces when they just came forward, the the depth of repentance, the crying out for for more of God was very, very real and uh, and beautiful. And it was an amazing and, and I'm sure you want to get into this, but the other thing that was just absolutely beautiful was the the very clear focus on Gen Z. Uh, Gen Z was at the heart of everything that was going on there. Uh, the the vast majority of people on stage were Gen Z. Um, the Hughes Auditorium, which was the main auditorium at uh, on campus at Asbury University, was jam packed. By the time we got there, it was jam packed, and they had begun restricting that that building to twenty five and under. And so there were a couple of sessions where we were either on the prayer team or we were there as you know some overseers um and able to just witness 1500 gen z students just pouring their heart out to god i mean just and it wasn't it wasn't hyped it wasn't a show uh there was just deep reverence deep humility uh real repentance uh but the spirit that was in that place was absolutely beautiful I mean, there were times where, you know, John, I just, I had to stop singing because uh, I could, I, I couldn't sing because I was so filled with emotion to to witness what I was seeing before me, and I deeply believe that God is doing a profound work in that generation. Yeah, how did you guys, how did you guys find out about it? So we, I mean, we're still very connected with, uh, particularly a lot of the, the staff. At Asbury, um, and so it was kind of this thing, partly through social media, partly through just hearing from people. Of you know, all of a sudden it goes like, "Hey, there's something going on in Hughes Hughes Chapel." Uh, to like, "Hey, it's still going. It's still like," and and then so you just you know we kept checking in and kept watching, and uh, and then we started checking in with Ethan, who's very connected with a lot of students who are still there. Um, and so it was really fascinating for us to hear kind of both sides of, of what's mm -hmm. going on from a behind the scenes kind of thing. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I graduated Asbury university in 2021. And so I still have a lot of friends yeah. up there and I was actually mm -hmm. back in Wilmore in January as a part of like a seminary course. So got to connect with a lot of them up there. And so I probably found out, I would say Wednesday night, Thursday morning, like when it was first starting, I heard some, some people saying, Hey, We've been in Hughes because I'm friends with them on social media. We've been in Hughes since 11 and the Lord's moving. And so um, the speaker also who was speaking at the time, Zach Mirakrebs, um, he was my goalkeeper coach as well uh, my senior year and I have a really close relationship with him. So um, I just texted him that I'm, hey, I'm praying for you. I heard that, you know, it's still going. I see that you're still up there. Um, and yeah. so... Uh, yeah, I was very early on to like kind of hearing about it and just like 
hearing all the different students from like day one, day two, just saying like, hey, this is the way God's healed me or this is what's going on. And so I remember, yeah, I think I talked with Joseph on like the Thursday, um, the second day, and just like brought it up to our students. Like um, we always have a small group on Thursdays. So I just brought it up of like, hey, this is my high is that some God is doing some really cool things at Asbury um, and a lot of my friends. Um, and so it's been cool to kind of, yeah, see the, the student perspective, um, being friends with them, also seeing Zach who spoke and then, yeah, being friends with some of the Asbury staff um, and even being in relationship with the Browns, um, just like seeing like all the perspective surrounding this and just the way it's been like handled and the care and the humility, I think to me is some of the things that stick out to me. So <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to try to ask questions that people who are dumb like me would ask <laughs> right <laughs> about all of this. But I'm like, I think one of the things a lot of people would say, or, or I would even think is like, you know, how does this start? How do, and, and why, and why, you know, you, you, you've heard about revivals in history, right? The great awakenings and all these sorts of things where God pours out. And then when, what happens after <laughs> that, how, how it changes like the world. I mean, some people say that the real, one of the reasons why England didn't have a, a, a civil war per se, I mean, they had a civil war, but didn't have a revolution kind of like France and the United States was because of a great awakening, you know, a re religious awakening. John Wesley was a part of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, how do these things start? I mean, I know we don't know all the answers in the mysteries, but what do you think, Keith? I mean, <clears throat> well, uh, I'd say two things. Um, I think it's one of those places where we see that beautiful uh, coming together of the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of humanity. Um, because I can tell you, I know for a fact, because I know many of these people personally, uh, that there there has been a group praying every week for months, maybe even years, for an outpouring of God's presence on or spirit on Asbury. Mm. And these are people that they have faithfully met every week for months and months to pray for that. Um, we've also been a part of the uh, the New Room Conference uh, mm -hmm. that is kind of grows grew out of Asbury Seedbed. Yeah, um, you know that's a movement that's been around for seven years, mm -hmm. and the whole point of that movement was to sow for a great awakening. Yeah, and so you've had thousands of people that are part of Seedbed that have been praying for a great awakening. Um. And then there were the, you know, uh, th there were students. This, as from what I understand, this revival started in a very similar way to the one in 1970, where kids started confessing their sins. And so you've got passionate, fervent, prevailing prayer that goes for you know, for months. You've got a spirit of humility that is rooted in deep repentance. I think that's the human side of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why it happened on that Wednesday, yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. And to me, that is totally a sovereignty of God thing, which I think makes this so beautiful because it wasn't planned. It wasn't scheduled. They didn't bring in the big name worship teams and the big name preachers. And it, it wasn't anything that you could look back to and say, well, I mean, uh, uh, the, the guy, the speaker, what's his first name? Was it Josh? Zach. 
Mir Krebs. Zach. Mir Zach. Krebs. Zach. Zach. I know a lot of people that know Zach. Everybody loves Zach. But I think anybody would listen to the message he preached and and he and would say, how did that message launch <laughs> this? Um, in fact, Zach himself said he called his wife right afterwards and said, well, there's one more stinker uh, on my list of, of sermons. He he didn't he didn't think it went over well at all. Um, and so it was just it was beautiful. And I think adds to the authenticity of what took place that it wasn't planned and it clearly was not something that that somebody just created it was a sovereign move of god but it was a sovereign move of god in response to deep fervent prayer humility repentance and a yearning and hunger for god that's probably i think for anybody who's thinking about your your spiritual life i mean that's the way if you're thinking why doesn't god show up a lot of times mm-hmm. God's already there. God has shown up. It's just that there's a lot of barriers we create mm-hmm. right. through mm-hmm. our, when we, if we just are not able to see, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it's interesting that it's initiated by a lot of people being honest and humble. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. I, I think, you know, I've talked to several people about it and the phrase that keeps coming up uh, in my conversations is just this idea that God comes where he's wanted. Um, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and just this, okay, we say we want God, but like, okay, do you really want him? Because everything there stopped. Yeah. <laughs> like classes yeah. stopped and, and there was no convenience to when God moves. Mm. Um, right. and, and so in just thinking about, okay, like Jesus, I want you to do that here and praying for it. Uh, and There's real important stuff going on. We have a schedule. <laughs> so this is great that this breaks out, but we have class at nine in the morning. Honestly, yeah, exactly. though, like there's a, like there's been some moments in prayer for me that it's been a, okay, like would I be willing to actually set everything down and just totally shift if, if God showed up and I hope the answer is yes. Right. Like, yeah, you don't know till the moment shows up, but, um, and I, I think ultimately like what he was saying is, is this has been something that they've been hungry for, for, like you said, years, but even decades since the 1970 revival, like it's just kind of in the DNA of the town of just like, we want Jesus to show up. Um, Mm -hmm. there's a story of, um, the guy who owns the local grocery store who Mm -hmm. the, the city came to him and were like, Hey, like we know that your parking lot is being blocked and people can't come get groceries. Do you want us to block stuff off so that, and, and the guy just goes, no, we've been praying for this for decades. We, this is what we want. The guy like that owns the business. I don't yeah. care about my business. I want Jesus to move. Wow. Um, and so that's, that man is just a hero, but, um, he's, yeah, we can talk, we can have a whole podcast about him, but yeah, <laughs> yeah he has a Bible study with like a lot of like, you know, you think of Asbury and Wilmore with the, you know, seminary and the university as this just hub of like the most theological astute kind of people. And he has a Bible study just in the back of his grocery store for like the common folk. And it's Mm -hmm. just like so cool just to see his like dedication of like, yeah, business owner that, you know, he, he could be thinking, wow, there's like 50,000 people that have come through. This is my best opportunity to make money, but Mm -hmm. that's not even like a thought in his mind. I think another thing is just like seeing the students, that were there talking about this not being planned. Like you see the pictures and I've heard the stories of like, there wasn't that many of them that were there right after like Zach kind of finished his 
um, like talk, like the, the ones that were there and that were praying and that shared the testimonies. Um, it was like a small group, like originally, it wasn't like, you know, this planned, exactly what we're saying, this plan orchestrated, let's pack it out and then let's bring the speaker. But it was just a normal Wednesday in a, you know, a season and a year of Asbury when they're, they used to have really strict requirements of showing up to chapel, but that now they've really like flexed that and changed that a little bit. And so a lot of people were actually, there was a sense of worry to some degree about the spiritual life of Asbury and spiritual life mm -hmm. of the students. And so that led some people just to be praying, you know, even more um, this year in particular for that. So I think that's just another thing that it's like of all mm -hmm. the years for God to do something really big and really cool. It wasn't the year that Asbury has been forcing kids to be in chapel and trying to pack out the auditorium. It's actually in a season in which there wasn't that many students. There's a few number. So the chapel's not mandatory. And all of a sudden, you know, it's kind of like when you have to go to church and your parents drag you to church. <laughs> not yeah. a lot of good stuff that goes, or your husband or your wife you know, right? drag you to church. It's kind of like you, you don't really get a lot out of it when, when that's yeah. the case, you know, mm -hmm. if it's required. But um, what, what did you, Keith, what did you, I mean, you, you talked about some of the things that you saw, but I mean, as it was up there, this thing, I mean, it started, and how, how long did it, go before i mean it's is it still going on or is they've stopped it now right they yeah they they uh one thing that was planned but had nothing to do with this was national collegiate day of prayer was scheduled for last thursday and they had scheduled years ago that it would be held on of all the campuses on in the country at asbury university and so Asbury began, and I will say, you know, being up there and kind of being behind the scenes, uh, it was becoming a huge burden for the school and for the city. Uh, I mean, uh, by Saturday after we, but, well, no, by, yeah, it was Saturday. By Saturday after we got there on Friday, they had law, uh, police, sheriffs, state patrol at every entrance coming into Wilmore. And at some point they had to shut it down and say, there is no room for any more cars in this city. Uh, people couldn't get to their houses. Um, it, it was it was creating a real issue in Wilmore security wise. I mean, you can imagine the university dealing with security concerns of having 30,000 people on campus that you don't know. Um, and so they kind of looked at that date that Thursday and said, we feel like that's when we're going to need to bring this to a close. Let that be the climax. But the deeper thing behind that was this really doesn't need to become about the place. Mm -hmm. It needs to, to be about what God is doing. And quite frankly, it needs to get out of here like a diaspora. We need a, a forced diaspora to really say, let's see this get out. They knew they were going to face a lot of criticism if they did that, and they did. A lot of people say, "Oh, you're quenching the, you're quenching the Holy Spirit. You're shutting the revival down." And they're like, "No, we it needs to go out." And and I'll even testify personally there. I mean, there were uh, by by the time we got there, there was the main auditorium that holds fifteen hundred. Yeah. It was being simulcast to Estes Chapel, the seminary, to McKenna Chapel at the seminary, 
and to the gym in the student center. And all three of those were jam packed with people. And there would be still a, a half a mile long line of people who were who were insistent that they had to get in Hughes. It's like there was some magical thing going on in Hughes, and if they didn't get into Hughes, somehow it wasn't going to happen for them. And I think you know the school and the leaders began to see some of that and thought that's not healthy, that's not what we want. Um, and so I think they were very wise in determining there's a point where we need to bring the, this to a close. And it didn't peter out, man. That last night, Thursday night, it was absolutely packed and the spirit was moving in a powerful way. But they said, now's the time to release this and to let it go. Um, and I think that was that was the right decision. Um, so, you know, because it was, they, you know, the thing is, they, they kept saying over and over again, this is not, this is not hyped and we don't want to hype it. They, there were celebrities that showed up, you know, worship leaders that everybody in the country would know or preachers that everybody would know. And even in some cases offered themselves to say, hey, if you need me on stage, I'm happy to bring something. They turned every one of them down uh, and said, this is not about that. This is all student led. It's student run. They, they were turning celebrities away. And most of them, to their credit, just came in and worshiped and uh, were a part of the crowd. But I think there was such a deep desire for it to stay authentic, you know, that they had to at some point say, it's time to bring this part of what God is doing to a close so that it can go out from here wherever God wants to take it. That's, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, can you imagine like big celebrity preachers and like Chris Tomlin shows up, hey, you know, if you need me, uh, I'll be glad to lead worship or whatever. <laughs> It's like, no, pro, we're good. It's it's all good. Yeah. I mean, and, and two, to hear like the stories of how they were selecting the worship leaders. There was a worship, there was this couple, and I don't know, I don't know if you know about this or not, but this couple who somehow they felt like the Lord asked them to come and, and kind of coordinate this thing. And so they would literally pray together. The Lord would highlight people in the crowd that he wanted them to go ask. And they would go ask them. Um, and... I mean, pretty much all the time it was like, yeah, I, I play guitar or something. And sometimes like they weren't super great, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but other times you'd have them, uh, you know, the, I heard a story of this guy who's from Lubbock, who happens to be this crazy concert pianist that the Lord just told him to go ask this person, but they wouldn't just take him and put him on stage. They would go back, um, into this place that they called the messy of messies. Um, which is like any musical equipment that you need, um, yeah. we'll, we'll get you set up. And then they would go and they would pray over them in the consecration room for half an hour. Um, mm-hmm. Just like, we want to make sure that your heart is in the right space before mm-hmm. you go and you lead others in worship. And I feel like that was so much of what this thing was about was, is not about how do we have the best product? Like it was, it was like, we just want the presence of God. And that's, that's about it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Dr. you're exactly right. It was it was the least produced thing I've ever been to. I mean, the music was just totally unplugged. There were no lights. They didn't even put they didn't even put the words of the music on on a screen. Um, it, it it was so simple the whole thing, uh, which again just added to the authenticity of it. What were you gonna mm-hmm. say? Yeah, uh, Dr. Brown had a quote which basically was like, 
we can't stop or we can't finish something that we didn't start. And I think yeah. that shows like, you know, yeah. this wasn't planned. And so, yes, people want to label it as Asbury ends the continuous worship or Asbury killed the revival. Um, but I think the better term is it, it's a transition, right? From the, I think you said, from the come and see to the go and tell. Mm. Like now that we've experienced the Holy Spirit, now that we've experienced Jesus and the simplicity of that, let's go take that and let's not let that just be a cool experience that we got to have, but let's this be a marker of our lives that we can go and we can live a life that's changed, transformed, and hopefully bring that to other people who didn't see on social media or too scared to go or for whatever reason, you know, didn't weren't moved by what they saw. I think it'll be interesting to see the, the waves of effects of this in the coming months and, and even years. Um, I mean, we've already seen, I don't even know how many campuses it's up to now of just prayer movements breaking out, um, on all these, it feels like random campuses. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, so we have a, a, a young man here, Brad Gowan, who's in a horrific, you know, ski yeah. accident last year yeah. and and has been through a miraculous healing. And he goes to Texas A&M uh, and he's still recovering, you know, physically, mentally, all this kind of stuff. But they had uh, they had a gathering at, at Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. I heard about one in, in Birmingham at Samford. There was so this kind of these things. um I don't know what you call them, but they were sort of echoes of mm-hmm. this receptivity. But they were doing the same thing. They were asking kids to share stories of healing, like, you know, for a minute. And all his friends are like, you got to get up there and share your story <laughs> about how God's, you know, working in your life. Yeah. And he said there were two, three hundred kids at whatever their gathering were happening at, at Texas A&M. So it wasn't contained to the one place. I'm not sure how many places it it was at, probably more than we'll ever know. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I think it'll be interesting too, as these people who go and are now changed, how do they affect other people? Right. I, um, I got to speak at our Gessner campus, um, last spring and shared a little bit about the Hebrides revival from, what was that like 60 mm-hmm. years ago now? And I shared the story and then a guy came up to me after I spoke and he said, I actually came to Jesus because of somebody who encountered the Lord at the Hebrides revival. They came to Dallas and they shared the gospel with me and, and my life was transformed because of that. And so I think it'll be really fascinating to see, you know, we won't know for a long time, but. Yeah, I think that's a, an interesting thing too, Keith, is like, there's been a lot of stuff. I mean, if you just open up and Google up Asbury revival, I've seen a lot of articles. I've seen a lot of people writing things, people from Asbury, people that didn't go there, um, trying to figure out or define, (laughs) you know, I mean, we live in a, the world is a crazy place now. People trying to either discount it or explain it away or say, Hey, you know, whatever, or, or even, (laughs) even from Christians, other Christians who are like, well, it's just, you know, it's all sort of turned inward and, and if it doesn't go out, it's a, you know, it's just like, I, I call it people just poo-pooing, which is what social media about the only thing it's good for, I think, except for putting out some good stuff. But, you know, I, I do think it's interesting uh, for people to think about, you know, what is revival and what comes out of it? I mean, you, you even said it shouldn't be something that we just keep to ourselves. Hmm. And so I think, 
the question is like, what's, what is next? What happens next? Or, um, Mm. maybe that's not for us to answer, but I'd be interested in your thoughts about just the way people have written about it, talked about it, looked at it, um, in so many different ways. I mean, I just pulled up here and there's like 20 articles you can go read from places Mm. like, uh, Baptist news global to, uh, religion news service to Christianity Today or New York Times and Washington Post and Time Magazine. I mean, so yeah. it's it's saturated into the culture now uh, in a yeah. way that a lot of things don't. What are your thoughts yeah. on that? I mean, yeah, it was interesting, John, that right after we got back from Wilmore, just a couple of days after we got back, one of my early morning readings and devotion was uh, in Mark, and it was that that section where the people are just clamoring to get to Jesus. Jesus is coming into Capernaum, and it's creating chaos. And it, and it says there that his family thought he was mad. They said he's lost his mind. Um, and then the very next section talks about how the scribes uh, said, "Well, he's doing this because he's in league with Satan." And uh, one of the commentaries that I was reading alongside that just made the point, uh, first of all, that those are two very different responses. You know, there there were some around Jesus that just didn't understand what was going on. Uh, And they're wondering, is he out of his mind? Possibly even because he's just bringing all this chaos into their life that is uh, that's affecting them. You know, his, his chaos is now at, at their front door, and they're like, you're out of your mind bringing that into to here. Um, but the scribes were a very different thing. The scribes concluded that they knew what was going on and determined that it was of the devil. And, um, and then he goes on to make this statement. He says, it's odd to see how often... Uh, the, the a person or a people's strength becomes the very thing that keeps them from seeing what God is doing. Yeah. Um, and I thought in this case, there are people that are so locked on to what I might would call like a fundamentalist view of Scripture where their interpretation is absolutely right and everyone else's is wrong. And their commitment to that truth is so deep that they can't see where the spirit is moving. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the thing about that is we can control truth or our version of it. Yeah. You know, we can we can control what we proclaim to be truth. What we cannot control is the spirit. Mm-hmm. And the spirit is going to move where the spirit will move. Jesus said he's like the wind and you don't know where he's coming or where he's going. Yeah. And, and I, for one, think that we have to be in a place where, yes, we we do care about truth. And we know that God is never going to contradict the, the core of his word, but that we are also radically open to fresh things that the spirit wants to bring and do uh, and not be afraid of that or not try to shut it down or, you know, th- those kinds of things. And so that's what I would say to those who are who are questioning. Well, you know, yeah. we should, it's not wrong to question, is there any part of this that, that may be off? Well, yeah, maybe. We'll see. Um, well, people can co-op think, things. Like you said, people show up for a variety. I, I read about a guy who showed up and opened up a revival in a neighboring town somewhere, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know the guy's motivation or if it was pure or not, but 
that's well, they the, had, you know, in this case, I know there were demonstrators that came in, especially at the very end, that were condemning everybody that walked by. Um, and, and just their whole spirit was everybody here is a sinner and, and you need to repent. And it was just really anger driven. That's why we're here. But, <laughs> is that that church from Florida that goes around and maybe. Pro- protests all the funerals? And, yeah. Right. Know. Maybe. There's a special but, but place. The second there. part of your question, uh, John, uh, and I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, there, you're but, fine. I was just um, lamenting over Christians behaving badly. Go ahead. What? Well, and it's just that, you know, there's, um, I would say what we've witnessed at Asbury is an outpouring. Um, whether or not it's an awakening is going to be the degree to which what God is doing in the hearts of individuals uh, is sealed with um, response and obedience, uh, holiness, real transformation. For those for whom this was just an emotional moment where they felt a temporary high, it's not going to have that much effect. For those that really went down and said, God, I, I see what you're calling me to. I see what you want me to, to die to, or I see where you want, what you're calling me toward, and have responded with obedience, I think there's going to be transformation. And um, how great this is as an awakening, obviously, nobody knows yet. Yeah. We'll have to see. I mean, I think all of us are praying it really will result in an awakening where student to student to adult begins to share the transforming power of God. And and it really does begin to affect. I mean, uh, I don't mind telling you, I'm praying this is the start of a third great awakening. Mm. I mean, what would be better for our nation right now than to have a great awakening that would come against all the polarization, all of the weirdness that's gotten into our churches and brought us back to a deep passion for Christ and his kingdom. Um, I, I long to see that happen, and I pray it will. I totally agree with that. You were talking about how we can't see things sometimes because of our you know, our rigid, our rigid, you know, rigid nature of like reading scripture or how we look at God at work. And, uh, you know, last yeah. week we... I was preaching on John 9, and it's exactly what happens is the Pharisees, same thing you said, they couldn't see the light and the life and the healing that God, that Jesus did because they were so concerned that he did it on the Sabbath. So he's got to be a sinner because right. he, he yep. broke the Sabbath, so therefore he's a bad guy. But even the Pharisees, what, what's interesting, it's a little side comment, is the Pharisees were even divided because there were a few of them even in the institutional organization of, of the, you know, they were like, I don't know, man, if this guy's a sinner, I don't think he could do what he, what he's done. So mm-hmm. I, I think this is one of those things that calls a lot into question, no matter what you think, or maybe you're too cynical or whatever. Um, that I, I think, like you said, that's a, a, a very defining characteristic of we Methodists. I say we, cause we are Methodists together, free Methodists, United Methodists is that we do believe that God breaks out into new ways, you know, in the context that we live. Um, it's not a static, stays the same, but God does new things. And that, that's what's really yeah. um, interesting to me. Uh, but the, the, the young people, uh, back on that, I, I wonder, you know, you see it fleshed out. Okay, I'm 
going to turn to you guys too because they're younger than we are. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> a little bit, a lot. Um, but I think about Gen Z, you know, all we hear from data research is that, you know, a million millennials leave the church every year. Mm-hmm. Gen Z is the most, you know, more unchurched or disconnected, whatever. But it seems like to me there is something happening. I mean, I know in my daughter who's at University of Oklahoma and a young life leader and and the people that she's around, there's something happening in in the Gen Z that I don't know that we could put our finger on. But I mean, you're you guys are experiencing that, and we've had Absolutely. we've had kids start Bible studies here mm-hmm. in our church that, of, of their own initiative. I yep. mean, are, you're seeing that, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we've had students who've started Bible studies, who've created clubs at schools so that they can serve the homeless. Um, I mean, one story in particular that comes to mind is when Asbury stuff was starting in that weekend, I was really considering, oh, I kind of want to go up there. I want to see what's going on. And I just felt like God saying, uh, no, you're here. Stay here for a reason. And um, so I was like, all right, I'm going to leave all my friends up there and they can do it and they can experience it. And I actually had a conversation with a student I met after school and we got to sit down for coffee and just got to ask about his life and like what's going on and in that he was like oh I'm doing so good he's like I actually have a story that I want to tell you and I'm like all right I'm all ears and he's like so um he's like my grandfather has died um kind of recently and he's like I never really mourned the loss of my grandfather um I kind of pushed it aside and didn't really think about it but recently he was like in the last kind of semester he's like it's it's been you know, on my heart and in my mind, because my grandfather is the one who would, you know, ask me how I'm doing after school. And I would talk to him and, and we would do like fun activities together. And he's like, and just the grief was one night was overwhelming. And he's like, I went to go take a shower. And normally he's a big um, kind of rock and roll kind of guy. So he was going to go turn on his rock and roll music. And he was like, no, I think I should turn on worship music. And so he goes and he, he turns on his worship music um, playlist. And he said he was he was sitting on his bed. And in that moment, just a wave hit him. And he's like, I was just overcome um, with peace. And he's like, I started crying and I started laughing. Mm-hmm. And just everything just came over me. And he's like, in that moment, he was like, I felt a hand on my back. And I looked to the right. And I saw Jesus and he's like, obviously he's like, I was still in my room. I could look and see that there was no one, but I knew that I looked to my right and Jesus was there. And he's like that wave. He was like, that was the Holy spirit that just came over me. And in that moment, like, he's like, I knew God was with me and he's been with me and that he will continue to be with me. And like, since then he's like, he's seen like a new perspective in his own life. Um, and just like a, a dedication of like, I, I want to let people know like that God actually moves and you can see God and that you can talk to God. And so I think there is so much going on in this generation. And I think to some degree it is because people are so worried and people think, oh, everyone's leaving. But the ones who are left in the church really care. And the ones who are left in the faith, maybe if they're not even in the church building, they're the ones who you know they maybe they've been made fun of in school maybe they've been you know um 
insulted at parties because of what they believe. And I think it's it's dwindled the numbers into a remnant. And you see that in scripture that sometimes when the numbers get dwindled and then there's people and their backs are a little bit against the wall and the backs against the wall of depression, anxiety, um, all that stuff that's on a rampant rise of Gen Z, that when those people realize that and they cry out in hunger, that there is a response from the Lord. And I think that's that's what we see in our students, like in small, tiny little <clears throat> stories, but I think that's also kind of what we, we see at Asbury as well. Absolutely. I think there's... Um, well, on one level, I think it's harder to be a Christian in our culture than when than when I was a student, even you know not too long ago. But I hear stories from our students. I, I even watched my daughter, who's in third grade, and in first and second grade, she was already made fun of for being a Christian, right? And it's just like it's it's harder to be a Christian in today's society instead of of just like oh yeah, like we're all Christian, but nobody's Christian. Um, and I think what that brings about is the expression of Christianity of the students who are willing to lean into it is much more authentic and much more real and actually has some, some depth and foundation to it. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think to that, this generation is really desperate for something that is just authentic. And I think that's why this movement at Asbury has been so powerful is that it has not been the show. It has not been, um, uh, any of the other things. I mean, you've seen some groups who have come and are attracted to this thing and and they have all their different expressions and and expectations of what it's supposed to be. Um, but one of our friends, Jeremiah law said when he went up there, um, you walk in the room and you are kind of immediately just forced to die to yourself. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I can't bring my expectations. It's just like, this is what God is doing and it's real and I can't deny it. And I think, Mm that's what this generation's hungry for. And I think there's a reality too, that God is, is pursuing this generation even more than we are. Um, so yeah. So, yeah. so what would it look like then for us to get on board with his desire for that, to change from just kind of a general anxiety about what do we do about this generation to a desperate hunger, God come move. Um, so yeah. So yeah, we've, we've talked a lot recently about, mental health, you know, crisis of this, this young generation coming out of COVID and the lack of connection and, you know, to, that trauma <clears throat> is really deep. And so I think you're going to move in one direction, one or two directions, you know, is you're going to go deep into the darkness, <laughs> right? Or you're going to search for some kind of an answer. Yeah. And I think it's fundamentally, um, if, if you're searching for an answer, you're going to be open. Mm-hmm. right? You're receptive to something to help you, mm-hmm. whether it's a therapist or faith or whatever, whatever it is, you're going to be open. And I think I, I do see the commitment in young people. I think the other thing, Keith, you, you, you're around organized religion a lot. Um, I, I think one of the things that's really bothered me is, is I've said Christians behaving badly, Christian on Christian uh, mm-hmm. crime, uh, where we just, man, you know, we're going through it in, in our own denomination where it's like uh, this this one uh, disagreement on a passage of Scripture, uh, but the ends justify any means necessary to get to what we want. So we leave kindness, gentleness, love, patience, 
uh, speaking, not speaking evil of one another. We leave all that at the door uh, so we can fight <laughs> with manipulation, lies, attacking, whatever. And it just seems to me, I think young people look at that and go, man, if this is what faith is, that's not really what I want to be a part of. And so they're opening themselves to a much more relational, authentic experience rather than these denominational battles. I mean, you're all, you're all around the country too. I'm sure you could speak to that. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, every uh, everybody experienced that especially during the pandemic you know it's like everything got triggered mm -hmm. during the pandemic and you know we are we're a, a denomination that has been committed to a real what we would call the wesleyan middle way when it comes to things like we are fully committed to the word of god as our authority we stand there on historical issues socially but at the same time, equally, we have deep love and compassion for for everybody, for every group. We don't want to we don't want to see the people we're trying to reach as enemies. You know, we want to we want to love them into the kingdom, and that's where we've tried to live. But it's been really hard during COVID because you you saw this triggering effect that sent people to the edges, to the polar ends, and. And I do think that's one of the things that was was one of the themes that a lot of the testimonies were around in the Asbury revival mm. was forgiveness, humility, gentleness, kindness. Those are all things that were just continually coming up. And um, there is no doubt that if the church cannot come to a place where we love one another deeply and love is not weak, it's rooted in truth. Yeah. All those things are are right but love has to be leading the way and I, and and i would also say too with a lot of the social issues that are so contentious it pains me that that's where the conversations start yeah um I, I just believe with all my heart if we could get if the conversation could start with jesus and what it means to to follow jesus to to surrender my life to jesus and to be filled with his spirit God, can, the Holy Spirit can change people from within so much more effectively than we can with rules or condemnation or shame. Uh, and I would love to see us get the conversation back there. How can we start the conversation with Jesus? Though, you know, there are other issues that are going to come up. But if Jesus is in the picture, it's going to go a whole lot better than if we start with those questions um, and Jesus is not yet in the picture. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's that's what I believe we are seeing with Gen Z, and I, I pray that the whole church can learn from that as we go forward. I think we're seeing it's it's not just in young people too. There is a a sense of revival. I think maybe the Asbury revival in time and space is connected to a much broader what's going on in in our American context. Because even here at Chapelwood, there's a sense of energy and excitement and life and vitality. And we've kind of doubled down exactly what you said, where we said, look, we're going to be all about the life, the mission, the words, the teaching, the actions, the healings of Jesus. That's going to be our model. And you'd be surprised that some Christians are not real fired up about that. <laughs> you know, when I tell people like Jesus sits at the table with everybody, you know, sinners and tax collectors, and it doesn't mean he condones their sin, but it means he condones them as as a child of God. And some people are just, they don't like that. And that you're, so now you're getting into a, 
a place of conflict with other people of faith that are like, yeah, turn the other cheek. I got to go fight, man. I got to go win. I got to go. My party's got to win. My politics have to win. We have to fight. We have to fight. We have to fight. And I'm like, man, that doesn't sound like Jesus, (laughs) but that's where we are. And I think this openness that we're experiencing, I think a lot I've hear, I'm hearing a lot of churches are experiencing this sense of revival, but it is separating because I think the churches that are experiencing are exactly what you're talking about. They're starting not at whatever the, the, the legal law interpretive thing, they're starting more at a relational um, place and space of what does it mean to be really be a follower and an imitator of Jesus? That's and, right. And I think that's what I, you know, and, and I think even Christians are struggling with that has been my experience. I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. And, you know, just to, to add on to kind of what our friend's experience was of like, it, it is in that dying to self, you come in and it's like, none of the stuff that I brought in matters anymore. It's just Jesus. And then you see people from, you know, a hundred different denominations in this room mm. praying for each other. You see young people praying for old people, old people praying for young people. You see, you know, any of the stuff that has divided our culture over the last 10 years, it just like, doesn't matter anymore. Just all we want is Jesus. And so let's go together. So, yeah. Yeah. We, for the last year and a half have been really focused on kind of our slogan is be with Jesus, be like Jesus and do what Jesus did. Mm. And mm. that's really been practical to a lot of our students of like, okay, my faith starts with my relationship with Jesus. And then as I cultivate that relationship with Jesus, uh, my character begins mm. to look like him. And then when my character begins to look like Jesus, then I can go out and I can live and I can do what teaching, preaching, healing, like that comes out of a relationship yeah. with Jesus. Mm. And I think because the generation right now is, I think it's, Gen Z is more relationally focused and you see them like they go to events together and either all the friends are in or no friends are in. And so I think because they are a little bit more relationally focused um, than some of the other previous American generations that they are so much more open to um, this idea of, oh, it can start with the relationship and maybe should start with the relationship. Yeah. Well, Keith, I want to be respectful of your time, too, because we're coming up on about an hour. And um, one of the things I'll say uh, as, you know, in a way of, of getting away from the Christian on Christian crime is I just want to say a wonderful and positive word about the Free Methodist Church that you're a part of. And I know back in the day you started out United Methodist. You were United Methodist. And this was not around any of the things that are in the current conversation. That was a whole different, your journey and your story was very different. Um, But one of the things I've always appreciated about Free Methodist, and I know in in the United Methodist denominational, uh, whatever you want to call it, um, we've had some United Methodist churches who have come and joined the Free Methodist Church. I've always appreciated about Free Methodist, as a fancy word, sort of the, 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 the personal piety and the gentleness of spirit that um, is very unique and different than when you see denominations that start out of anger and fear. And so I have actually encouraged some churches that are disaffiliating. I was like, take a, I said, if you just want your spirit to be not rooted in all of this 
cultural angst. I've, I've, you know, I know you've, you've seen, I've emailed you from time to time. It's like, Hey, can I get your email? And I will recommend because we were on the part of the conference work here and trying to help churches. But, um, I've always appreciated that about not only you personally and your spirit and gentleness, but what you say about those essence of Jesus to me has always been my experience of the free Methodist churches and pastors that I've known. And so how, how are things in the free Methodist, uh, denomination? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we've certainly got our issues. I mean, uh, you know, there's uh, there's no such thing as a denomination that's not facing challenges right now. And we have ours. But I will say the one thing that I think has been particularly helpful uh, around some of the most controversial issues that have been a big part of what the UM Church is dealing with um, is that because we have had some real clarity around what we believe in terms of scripture and 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 uh morality and those kinds of things we have not been fighting over that as a denomination you know we have clarity there so what that's done is given us the space to say how do we love well how do we love people really really well um that uh are not yet with christ and are not yet in a place where uh, of surrender to him and that has helped us, and and I pray that will continue to help us. Um, you know, it's uh, it's hard though. I mean, there there's a person uh, recently that just said flat out, um, the days of being a both and Christian are going to go away. You're either gonna you're either gonna be wholly committed to what the, you know the the culture is trying to to bring about, when, and particularly when it comes to sexual ethics. Uh, you're either going to be totally with that agenda or you're going to be seen as someone who is a bigot and, and a, a, someone who's completely against it. And we've just kind of pretty stubbornly said we're, we, we we have to be both because Jesus was both. Mm. Uh, the word of God is both. If it makes us a countercultural, we will we we are countercultural. But we have we have to be where Jesus lived. We have to be where the Word of God is, and the Word of God is deeply rooted in both truth and grace. Um, and we want to be a people that uh, are, are, are living right there. But pray for us. I mean, we have our own issues. Yeah. We have our own struggles. And and I'll and I'll just say this lastly, John. You know. Um, I mean, I'm a bishop in the Free Methodist Church, but I want to say boldly that we, if we ever become more about anything than the kingdom of God, we are losing. Yeah. And so, you know, we have to always be first and foremost a kingdom people. And we have to care more about the kingdom than we do building our empire. And I pray that we can stay there. And I pray that uh, every denomination, because I believe ultimately— a denomination is only beneficial to the degree that it's actually working with a kingdom mindset, mm. not a not an empire mindset, but a kingdom mindset, and uh, and that's what we want to that's what we want to be. Well, I appreciate you, man. I I really do, and keep up watching you from a distance, and um, yeah. and just uh, hope and pray that God's continued blessing on you and and the denomination and. As a bishop, man, I never would have thought back in the days of college, Keith Carroll would have been a bishop. But I mean, I could see it. It wasn't like 
Keith was as <laughs> Keith was just as wonderful a person <laughs> thirty years ago uh, or thirty five years ago as he is now. So I'm I've probably changed more, but uh, that just Bishop. That's a big I, word. I would have said. I would have said that I'm, we're we're coming into our end of our fourth year. Yeah. Uh, and I would have said five years ago, I'll never be a bishop. So <laughs> it's a, I was with you all the way up until uh, the last till the summer of 2019. And um, anyway, it's been a it's been a blessing and a privilege. Uh, and it's been great to catch up with you. Yeah, it has been great. God's blessings on you and Chapelwood and, and everything that God is doing. Well, let me know when you get in Houston. I will. Yeah, I, I will. mean, let me know. We'll 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 go out and have some dinner. I may even make you work. I may make you preach or something. I don't know. You know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> hey, I Thanks love you, too. man. It's good to see you. Hey, John. All right, buddy. Bless you. Nice to meet you as well. So, um, any any final thoughts on on Asbury revival and our conversations today? I mean, you got to meet a good friend of mine who's yeah. we've been friends for a long time, but. Uh, to just being up there. I know a lot of folks that went up there. You probably, you guys know a lot of folks that, that were up there. So mm-hmm. any, any last thoughts? Um, I think for me, it's just seeing, yeah, we're beginning to see what is coming out of it. Um, like from a student engagement perspective, um, I was actually calling um, Zach Mercreeps yesterday and he was just talking about um, there's about, 200 or so Asbury students who've really said like yes and committed to like doing missions Hmm. and so um, I think just for all of us who got to see the social media influence and got to see all of this happening is both praying for all the people who did see the Holy Spirit move and were changed that God would continue to empower them and move them and the students who got to experience it firsthand that God would be with them and that they would become lifelong disciples of Jesus mm-hmm. and that they would go out and tell everyone of what's going on. And I think also the maybe the last thing is just like, if we believe that the same God of the Old Testament, the New Testament of the God that moved at Asbury is alive and with us all, then we should be hungry and praying that we too can see God move. In, in mighty ways maybe not the same way yeah, yeah. Um, but definitely in in big and crazy ways so I think it's on our hearts especially as a youth staff and with some of the other youth pastors is hey we want to see God move in Houston and we want to see the next generation of Houston um, really just on fire for Jesus and living that out my takeaway from the whole thing is just it's basic uh, biblical blocking and tackling it's like like we're in the season of Lent 101, I'm experiencing this myself, is like, man, if you engage in some self-denial, if you engage in a little humility, if you're willing to admit, hey, maybe there's some practices in my life I need to change or let go of, or maybe some ways I need to look at the world differently, maybe I need to tap a little more into the life, mission, ministry, words, actions of Jesus, and and you do that, it really does open you up. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that that's what I, the take the takeaway, um, for me, was interesting to hear how it started. Was really about confession and repentance, and just and a, and a deep sense of humility. Absolutely, uh, from students who are now like, okay, we're ready to receive whatever. 
It wasn't like it was planned. Like on Wednesday, we're going to start a <laughs> start a revival, a, a revival yeah. that's going to make all the major <laughs> news outlets in the United States kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you can do that. Yeah. And I think it's people awesome. try to do that every week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Call it a revival. So we're yeah. going to have a revival. We're trying to do it every week. Um, yeah. And I think also just like maybe another thing is like if if we, we just saw God move, obviously, in, in a big way, whatever we want to label it, awakening, outpouring, revival in the younger generation, Gen Z is just maybe a call and challenge to almost every church out there of like, where are you equipping, empowering and putting the younger generation in current leadership positions in your in your church, um, whether that's on your volunteer core teams, whether that's serving, whether that's mm -hmm. any sort of place, because I think the younger generation, because they have had a tougher time being a Christian, they do see this like this rapid struggle with you know a mental illness that they are a little bit desperate, mm -hmm. and so what if we we equip and we call and we empower some of those those mm -hmm. kids to to actually speak into the church right now. Yeah. Not just in ten years when they have a master's degree, but <laughs> Yeah, you're not the future you're not the future of the church. You are the present. You are the church. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for coming. While Matt's doing, you know, Cambridge stuff. Yeah. They didn't invite <laughs> me to go with him. Right. But uh, appreciate y'all being here. Man, if you, uh, if you listen to the podcast, please make sure you subscribe, like, smash the like button, smash it, leave a good review, five stars, something, something. The subscribe and liking are things that push the algorithm. Right, Jeff? Am I using the right words? They mm -hmm. push things up, right, to make it. Uh, and you know where, where, I didn't know this, but you know we're on like, what, episode 114? Which apparently in the podcast realm, like that's that's like pretty impressive, right? We're like top one percent, wow. dude. Dude, this is wow. This is like wow. us. Ah, this, I'm, I'm four episodes. I think. Four? <laughs> Most of the average. Everybody wants a podcast, <laughs> yeah. and then they get in and go. What are we gonna talk about? It's like about a New Year's week? resolution. Or, or they, they hear their voice back January and they're like, quit. "Oh my, yeah, I that's what horrible. I sound like." <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we have this way we sign off. We just say our name, right? Cool. I'm Joseph. I'm Ethan. No, it doesn't work like that. Uh, Come on. I start. Oh. And then hey, you. And you got to put the youth first, man. What? <laughs> then why did you go? Did That's right. <laughs> well, looked at me. <laughs> so it goes like this. I'm John Stevens. I'm Ethan Mayo. I'm Joseph Batty. And this is Pod Have Mercy. Oh,